Hello, Pete here again, and welcome to the latest edition of EdTech Innovators. Think you know about biometrics? Well, if you don't, by the end of this podcast, you'll be something of an expert, thanks to Ryan Anthony. Enjoy. Hello, Ryan Anthony. Hello, Pete. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. It's it's great to catch up with you again, and um, it's great to see your wonderful backdrop. You were ahead of. You, there are many reasons why you're ahead of your time, and this is one of them. You know, having a backdrop that's beautiful that people would comment on. Yeah, thank you. That's people ask me if it's a Zoom background, but I just have a plant habit, and it kind of got out of control when quarantine started. So here we are. <laughs> Who needs a, a Zoom custom background when you've got a plant habit? You know? True. It's true. And we have had sun in Southern California, so. Yeah. Well, we've got Californian weather in the UK at the moment. It's going to last for a few days. It's been going for about two weeks now. So it's, uh, it's wonderful. It really is. So, oh, great. Uh, great to hear that in the UK. Great to hear when the weather's out. It is. Yeah. I mean, everybody's mood is uh, lifted beyond belief, I suppose. It's, it's like nothing's wrong. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> we need that right now. We need that sunshine. That sunshine. We certainly do. So, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed speaking to you last time we, we, we caught up, Ryan, and, um, because I got the sense that you um, dwell in the future. You, you know, sort of reside a few years in the future, and there's so many reasons that um, I believe that, and we'll talk about those as we're going along. But should we start with your latest venture, if that's okay with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've assembled a team, um, very, a team of experts from very different backgrounds, um, Myself, I come from uh, a number of different industries. My most recent, um, I started working on some projects in the in behavioral psychology and neuroscience, um, which kind of led to some thinking in the ed tech space. And then my my team, um, we have behavioral psychologists, creatives, technologists. Really, the application that we're that we're focused on is um, it's a very new and emerging space in. You don't hear about it much in the tech press. You don't hear about it much in the press at all. Uh, but really what we're focused on is an area called biometrics. And biometrics refers to um, data that we collect from the human body. And if we look at like industries that are using biometric technologies or biometric sensors, uh, neuroscience is one. Um, and then you look into like the health uh, and research space, a lot of biometric sensors and tools and systems are used to really understand what's going on uh, with people on a physiological level. Um, so what's happening in their bodies when they're exposed to certain things. Um, it's very common to actually see biometric sensors in measuring sleep and stress, um, behavioral or mental disorders or disabilities. You can, you can detect abnormalities in, in brainwaves and patterns. But going back to the application we're focused on, um, we see these technologies becoming ubiquitous in, you know, as early as like three, like three to five years time. And we already see these sensors in Apple Watch. Um, there's some, some versions of this technology that can be, um, can be applied to the, the way that the phone moves, uh, heart rate, skin perspiration. And what we found is that there is no technology that ingests that type of data and provides some level of insight into what that response was in relation to. Mm. So 
when we think about like ed tech, the reason that this application is so interesting to us, um, myself, I came from the mobile gaming space and the ecosystem that exists in mobile gaming is it's, it's fairly advanced. It's, it's a, it's a very developed, um, ecosystem from a technology standpoint, but also in the way that every single piece of data is measured and optimized. And when I think about that as it relates to education, there's so many um, parallels into how people learn when we look at mobile gaming. Because really what, what gaming is, it's, it's building familiarity with a piece of content and learning and adapting via feedback over time. So one of the things that we've been really um, focused on in, in researching is how do we apply those same mechanics? How do we take data from these sensors to create a learning experience that's additive for students and teachers, um, not taking away from the learning experience itself. Um, but in order to power that ed tech application, there's a whole infrastructure piece that needs to be built. And that's what myself and my team are really focused on building in the next two years. Once that piece of technology is built, uh, we've already actually started talking to some integrators and, and companies that are really active in the ed tech space. And that's when we're really gonna try to find those use cases and you know, teams of people like, like you and Zoe and in the groups that you're active in. Um, we really wanna fuel the thinking around how we can use these technologies to design something that is new you know, with, with the student at the very forefront of um, you know, who this is for. Mm. So what recent developments are you building upon? So just, just for example, in artificial intelligence and, and things like that. So what are you sort of piggybacking off? Yeah, like, you know, I, my, so my, my father was a teacher and principal in a school system for 30 years. I come from a, a family of educators. So um, I got a really good look at education all throughout my life, you know, from very different perspectives, you know, not only my family, but like people in the community and the colleges. And, you know, one thing that's been very clear that I've heard time and time again is, um, you know, technology or education, innovating in education is hard. It's expensive. Nobody wants to pay for it. It takes a long time, like fill in the blanks. I mean, I'm sure you, you've probably heard them all. Um, but the thing I keep going back to is, the classroom. So you have a student, you have a teacher, and you have peers. And at home, you have a parent, two parents, or some other type of caregiver. Well, in the classroom, technology today, there's computers, there's iPads, um, some schools have smart displays. But I think about like, what is the student's experience as it relates to the curriculum and the education? Um, a teacher simply doesn't have the bandwidth to tailor and personalize curriculum to every individual student. Mm. And parents don't have the time or the bandwidth to teach their students on top of, you know, on top of what the teacher does. So there's all of these sort of environmental factors that, you know, when we bring it back to the student, it becomes really challenging to create curriculum and teach down to the individual level. Mm. So, this concept that we've been working on, um, I think I've shared it with you, like the third party observer. Mm. So a student has curriculum in front of them, whether it be a textbook, it could be, they could be consuming it via a computer. Um, that curriculum is usually the same for every single student. But what we're looking at is can we use biometric sensors to provide some level of feedback to the content itself 
So the content can adapt based on what the student is feeling. And that is kind of the, you know, I would say the overarching concept for this adaptive curriculum um, application that we've been, that we've been thinking about. Um, a student can't look over the shoulder of 30, of 30 or 30 plus students. The parent can't be there all day in the classroom to make sure that they're supporting their kid and the teacher is not at home. So you have these different people playing different roles at different, you know, different times of the day and throughout the child's life. You know, one of the, one of the things we get excited about is what if there was a tool or a system that grew with the student that learned how they learn that detects and understands objects in the same way that, that they do. Mm. Um, example of that is if you were to show a frightening image on the screen, biometrically, the student would have a response to that. And we could actually see that that content scared that child. And you probably want to avoid that. I don't think any teachers out there want to scare their kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but in application, it's, it's, we see it as helping teachers. It becomes additive for students. And it frames, it, we, you can frame curriculum in a way similar to how it is done in gaming, where it's not, I have to learn, I get to learn. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that's sort of where we, we see things evolving eventually in education is that it's, it's less of a mandate and kids, kids will feel less like it's an obligation and more like it's an opportunity. And I know that's a, that's a huge statement, but I do believe that technology is going to provide us uh, a path to get there at some point. Mm. And it's great to have that vision that's, that's so far in the future, but of course it's naturally building on what's already here. And I suppose logically, if I could ask you about some of the challenges that you're encountering and are likely to face, so we could talk about the logistical challenges, the financial challenges, the ethical challenges, and of course, stupid questions um, <laughs> that uh, you will be asked all the time. Um, the obvious one being, well, we won't need teachers anymore. So well, let's start with the stupid questions and, and uh, remove them from the table right away. So um, we're not going to need teachers anymore, are we? Yeah, I don't. I don't see a scenario ever where that you know where that becomes the norm. Um, you know what what teachers bring to the classroom is it's invaluable, and it's something that that technology will never be able to replicate. You know, even the most sophisticated AI that we have um, on the planet, it has zero ability to understand emotion. Mm. And if you look at kids like as early as like pre K, you know, even you know kindergarten through, you know, third, fourth grade, you know, students, teachers often, they, they take on almost like a student parent, pseudo parent role, right? It's not just about teaching curriculum and getting good grades on tests and making sure that the report cards are in a great place. Like the teachers really are, they are performing a function that is invaluable to society. And the way that I think about this technology is that it becomes additive and it helps teachers to do their job with more resources than they have today. Mm. So, you know, bringing it back to like the example of, um, you know, a system or potentially an AI that could help the student get them to a certain, certain spot where let's say they do have a major challenge that the system cannot get the student past, then obviously you would involve the teacher, but the teacher's role in this is absolutely critical and no technology should ever be built without the input of educators because this is, this is really for them. Ultimately it's for the student, but it's to help them do their job um, with, 
more resources and less, uh, I, 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 what would be the right word? Well, uh, ambiguity, <laughs> I suppose. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think that the, the teacher is providing that, that very uh, human support and you know, a combination of soft skills and hard skills with a greater degree of, of certainty and surety and confidence. So that's, that's the utopian vision, I suppose. So moving on from uh, the initial stupid questions, which I'm sure you've been asked a million times or will be asked a million and ten times over the next few years. Um, what about the um, ethical issues that you, you are likely to encounter? Yeah, it's actually, it's a great question. Um, you know, after, after researching, you know, a lot of these technologies and how they're used and how they could, could potentially be used, um, I almost, I, I, I pulled back from this a second. I said, wait a minute, like, you know, this could do a lot of bad, but where I ended up is it, it can also do a lot of good. And I, and I think if we, if we look at a lot of the, the big players in technology today, they've given us reasons why we should be careful about using their tools and services. Um, you know, is it great for the students that we have a computer in every classroom or that we have, you know, the ability to bring in these big corporate partners? Sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of value in that, but now more than ever, we need to be really careful about privacy, um, especially as it relates to children, because they don't have a say in this, right? It's, it's like parents posting pictures of their kids. Well, you know, the kid technically doesn't have a say in it anymore. So, you know, it's, it's, it's all of kind of the government governance and the policy around data regulation. But, you know, the way that we're sort of looking at this is we don't care who the individual, the end individual is as it relates to data privacy. The most important thing for us is that we are able to get the data and understand what the data means. Um, you know, the, the days of tracking people across all of their devices and understanding everything and interests, you know, I, I think we're going to see that tighten up significantly going into the future. But bringing it back to the ed tech use case, privacy is paramount. And you know, one of one of the the blind spots today, I feel like that education has, and I, it, it's a it's a byproduct of of law is you don't really get a look at a student from a health perspective, right? And health is such an important part of the early part of uh, you know a student's life. If they go to school and they're doing you know not quite making the grade and they're struggling, and you find out that they have an improper diet and they're consuming too much sugar. All of those things can affect the learning experience, but bringing it back to like data and data privacy, like we really need to make sure that um, there is a framework and there are laws and they do need to be followed because this is, this is, this is really sensitive information. Mm. So, I mean, just to be slightly mischievous about that kind of thing, do, do, do you um, perceive a, a slight disconnect between the, legal rigidity of GDPR, the expected legal rigidity of GDPR, and the openness that institutions have um, insofar as they, they, they open themselves up to the big tech giants and say, you know, come on in, have, have the data of our students. It, you know, it's, it's tough. And I think that's where, that's where it, it becomes really tricky because you have, you know, you have a company like Google that has you know, they've, they've spun up a whole division of the company that's focused on education. And, and if you look at what Google has done in the classroom or in schools specifically, like they've, they've done a lot of great things. I think where it becomes challenging is when you look at the rest of Google's business, um, 
you know, are there potential conflicts of interest? And I, I think the answer is yes. I think they, they are very aware of it. Um, but for something like education, I would almost say that it fits in the same bucket as healthcare in terms of privacy. Because the systems that are evolving today, if you go back in the future, you'll probably be able to understand what a student's um, potential is in terms of grades, you know, where they can, where, where their education would potentially continue or where it could potentially end. Like you think about the scariest things that you can imagine today, um, they're, they're possible. And if they're not possible today, they will be tomorrow. Mm. And that's, you know, kind of going back to your first question, like that's sort of where we spend a lot of our time thinking is like, there's no, there's no shortage of like limitations and barriers in, in innovating in ed tech. Mm. Like it, it is very hard to do, but if we stay in that headspace and we don't think about what it could potentially be, knowing that technology is event, it's exponentially um, evolving like every year. Um, if we don't anticipate what that most desired outcome is and work our way back, we're never going to be in a position to really make a dent, um, you know, in, in this industry, the way that we all want. Yeah. Are, are you in a position to divulge what that end game is at this point? Or would that be uh, really a very ill-advised question? No, no, it's, it's, it's a great question. Um, so I, I mentioned that these sensors that, that, we, that we use like in, in, in research, they tell us certain things about the body. Like obviously in the brain, it, it can tell you, you know, if somebody's paying attention, it can tell you, you, you can get a sense of like emotion, cognitive effort. It, it, it's just, there's so much data. Um, and we can take data from the skin. We can, we can see things from body posture, from pupil dilation, from fa facial expression. Um, and that data on its own is, it's valuable, but when you combine all of that data together and you understand what it's in relation to, now we start to build an understanding of the emotions as it relates to the object or the content. And that's, that's the first step is understanding between like call it man and machine. What is the common language that we understand between man and machine? Is it, if we're looking at, if I'm looking at a ball and a computer is looking at a ball, do we both understand that that's a ball? Yes. Because we taught the machine what those objects were, what they were called, what colors are. Like we defined all that for the machine. Mm. But what the machine can't understand is emotion. Mm. There's a lot of companies out there, especially in the AI space, that are trying to teach machines what emotions are by using facial expressions. Mm. And while there are applications where that does work, um, it's actually one of the least reliable for us. Mm. So you know, what, what we're really aiming at is how do we take that biometric data and structure it in a way where we can provide learning environments that are adaptive to the individual. Mm. And, and I suppose if I could uh, you know, reiterate what, what, what I was um, suggesting before, slightly mischievously looking at things from a neoliberal point of view, that you, know, what, you could argue that the tech giants, what they see um, in every human is uh, some data that can be commodified, you know, some very valuable uh, data. So each human is, is, is a piece of very valuable data. Now you're looking at, looking at it from a different point of view, aren't you? And insofar as you, you, you're thinking about you know, that harmony between man and machine and, and each individual is not a piece of data that can be sold, it's something else. How, how would you explain that? 
Yeah, our, I mean, our, our collective experience, like as a society with technology has changed like profoundly. Like if, if we think back to like when the first person uh, introduced the idea, like let's put computers in the classroom, you know, everybody's like, why, you know, we, they have some people have them at home. Why would we need computers in the classroom? It was a crazy idea. Right. And fast forward now, like most schools in the UK and here in the U S have computers in the classroom. There's obviously exceptions to that rule, but um, that technology has just become a common, it's just become a common, um, a, a common thing for most educators. But, you know, when, when we think about the biometric technology and we think about where we could potentially innovate with hardware, uh, could it be on the wrist? Could it be on the ear? Could it be on the arm? There's all these different ways that we can actually use these sensors today to, to create feedback loops that will feed into an adaptive learning environment. But that data has to be siloed. It has to be in some sort of infrastructure that does not tap into or does not expose that data to call it like an advertising model or something that can find you on the web by, you know, typing in your name or inputting some sort of user behavior attribute. Um, those systems are, are, are very evolved and they're, and they're what are powering advertising today. So I think we can draw inspiration from part of the way that the infrastructure is built, but in practice, I think it would have to be very different in siloed from yeah, because it, it would be, I suppose, logical, if logical is the right word, for all of that data to be very closely aligned to health data, to you know, very heavily marketized um, health data, would it not? And there's some, you would have to put up some quite stiff resistance to that if, 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 um, if, if, if that data is you know, very closely aligned to that kind of health data. Yeah, I mean, da data ownership, you know, I... I'm not. I, I'm sure there's probably some governance in place, but you know, to, to my knowledge, the way that um, school districts, like from my home state in Michigan, um, I'm not aware of like a data policy that exists that prohibits that allows or prohibits or restricts use of certain types of data for like endeavors like this. I mean, there's obviously like there's information that they can't share about the student that's strictly confidential, but I don't have a really good understanding of like what is allowed and what isn't today, which is probably another barrier that would have to be addressed. And, I, and I'm not sure if that is addressed at the individual district level or state level or federal level. Hmm. The states are, you know, the education system in the United States, the reason I actually was really interested in the UK is because it's a very different system. Hmm. The way that we operate in the United States is, we basically have 50 different countries. And when you try to solve for that problem, you know, on a local level, state level, federal level, it becomes exponentially more complicated. Yeah. 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 I mean, we have big differences between England and Scotland and Wales and Northern Ireland, but, but certainly I think within England, for example, um, it is relatively standardized. Um, so I can see how those difficulties uh, occur. Um, so what next then over the next few the next complicated few months Let, let's uh, let's get utopian again ryan and let's start to think as we ease ourselves gradually out of lockdown um into our i hate to use the phrase new normal but that, that that's the way it is um what kind of conversations are you are you going to be having and, and with, with what, what kind of people you know the last the last couple of months i've actually been um i've been spending a lot of time researching the education system in china um of all places 
China has, has done some really interesting things um, as it relates to education. And, and I, I read about a pilot, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, um, a couple months ago where they were using um, a brain control interface. So uh, a brain control interface, it measures uh, electrical activity from different parts of the brain, but it also allows you to control something with your brain activity. So if you think about a certain thing or if you, um, you know, concentrate or fix on a, fixate on a word or a motion, like you can actually control a cursor and move it. And it's, you know, wh where Facebook is going with this, with the, like the Oculus and the Oculus headsets, the acquisition of control labs, um, they're going to, they're going to be the market leader in brain control interfaces, which then creates a, a whole new relationship between humans and technology. It'll probably be used in the gaming space. Um, in the case in China, in the classrooms when they're using these BCIs, they're measuring attention. And they're, they actually had a system that sent a text message back to the parents to let them know if their kid was daydreaming in class or if they, if they weren't paying attention to the subject. And I saw that and I was like, wow, really interesting technology. Um, not sure I agree with the application, but um, I look for those little beacons of light. And, and, and that to me is an example of, you know, a group using a technology that's, that, that's not common and they're testing things out. And I think building off of what they have done, using it as, you know, design inspiration, how could we actually tweak that in a way that would be, like I said earlier, more additive than um, restrictive? I can't imagine the anxiety of a student, like knowing that my parents could get a text if I started like dazing off in class. I, I probably would have never made it through school. Um, but how can we use that same, how can we use those same sensors to, you know, if we see that a student is looking and struggling to pronounce a word, that would be a great time for the third party observer to supplement with an audio cue or a visual cue. Um, and that's really, that's where, that's where we're focused right now. We're, we're trying to paint that big picture. Like the, we're trying to come up with the craziest idea that people will just be like, wow, no, that's, that's never going to happen. That costs too much. Like it's not feasible because that's where we actually think the solution is going to be. It's going to be something that makes us uncomfortable. It's going to cost way too much and it's going to feel like it will never happen today. Similar, similarly, like when that first person said, Hey, we're going to put this computer in the classroom. Like that, that is, that's what we're preparing for. So our, our goal right now, like we're not looking to commercialize this. We want to inspire people to think about it and think as big as you possibly can. Because if, if, if we can imagine it, we're going to be able to address it with some sort of technology solution in the near future. Wow. So disruptive technology that isn't about maximizing equity and uh, making a fast book. This, this is, this really is beautiful. Well, you know, in, in the other, you know, talk about beacons of light. The other thing that gave me hope was, you know, when the pandemic hit and all of a sudden the U.S. government just printed $4 trillion, like out of thin air. But we've been hearing for decades that oh, education's too expensive. Like, mm, we, we, we can't do this for reasons X, Y, and Z. Well, now, that we, now we know that we can. And, and this, isn't a trillion, this isn't a trillion dollar thing that we're talking about. Mm. So I think ideal scenario is that we all agree that every student, you know, born on this planet deserves access to the highest quality education that we can afford. Um, and not to get political, but if we look at what's happening in the world today, 
you know, I don't think any of us want to be in this position for very long. And we sure, you know, sure as heck don't want, you know, our children to experience this when they get older. So the only way that we can, one of the only ways that we can kind of prepare for that is to rethink education. We need to like really figure out how are we going to make leaders of tomorrow that are better than the leaders of today. And, you know, going back to those big scary ideas and the things that make us uncomfortable, like, you know, cost and logistics, we can solve those problems. We're going to put somebody on Mars in our lifetime and who knows where else. Like mm. it's just a matter of, is it a priority? And it's, it's a very binary answer. It's yes or no. That's right. And I think because just about everyone, everyone is, is feeling a sort of you know, existential threat, if you like. You know, so even the, you know, the local coffee shop is, is feeling, you know, what, what are we for? We need to reinvent ourselves. We need to pivot and everything else. But um, this, this is a, a big question, but hopefully a simple one to finish on, Ryan. But, um, what are schools for then? What, what are schools going to be for when we come out of this? Yeah, I you know, I think schools have become more than what they were originally designed to, to be, right? I mean, the earliest days, like, you know, I'll use in the U.S. as an example, you had schoolhouses and you had kids of, of many different ages that were, that were coming to learn from a teacher. And now, like, we look at where it is today in all of the different subjects, um, the complexities of teaching individual subjects as, as the curriculum is changing, as we're discovering new things, you know, as the world is changing around us. Um, it, 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 it really is, um, it really is going to profoundly change. And like, if I think back to when we didn't have light bulbs before there were light bulbs, people weren't going around yelling, we need more kerosene. They were saying we need more light. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's a, it's a very similar, you know, analogy to what we're dealing, we're dealing with today is like, we don't need more books. We don't need more computers. We need better outcomes for the students and we need, we just, we just need more. And, and what that more is, I think we, we can obviously define that. Um, but I think getting to a place where we all agree that education is a priority is probably priority number one in all of the logistics and everything behind it. We can figure that out. We've got really smart people on this planet that if they're dedicated to thinking about this stuff, we'll, we will, we will, we will figure it out. But the most basic thing, is it a priority? Yes or no? Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. It, it, that was even more enjoyable than the last time. And that, that's really saying something. So <laughs> thank you so much for that. And we'll talk again soon. And uh, I, I did um, sell my soul to be part of your journey over the next, uh, uh, how, however long it takes. So um, we, we will talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Pete. Can't wait. How amazing was that? Thanks a lot for listening, and that's it for this week on EdTech Innovators. And we'll see you again next week. Take care of yourselves. See you later.